0: Welcome to Research Radio, Episode 9. Research Radio is a monthly series that brings evidence informed child welfare research to life through interviews with leading researchers. This month, we speak with Dr. Louise Hill, policy lead for the Centre for Excellence for Looked After Children in Scotland, based at the University of Strathclyde in Glasgow, about her research on listening to and learning from children affected by parental alcohol problems. I'm your host, Yvonne Brady.
1: So today I'm going to talk about my PhD research, which was a study of children young people's experiences and support needs when living with parental alcohol problems.
0: It's interesting that it's your PhD study that this is based on, and I wonder if you could maybe tell us a little bit about what brought you to study this topic. Where did your interest come from?
1: Yeah, well. Um, so my background is I was a children's rights officer so I looked-after children and young people in Greater Manchester. Mm-hmm. So I have a really strong um, interest in children's rights and really enjoyed working directly with children and young people. And then I worked for Barnardo's, which is a large children's organisation in the UK, um, as, a, as a researcher. And I was developing lots of work around children's rights and research, and I worked on lots of different research projects. Mm-hmm. But um, often they were quite time limited and didn't work with children and young people in the level of depth that I like to work with children and young people. one of my ideas was to develop a PhD study that used kind of innovative research methods mm-hmm. with children and young people very much as part of the process. Mm-hmm. And the fantastic thing about doing a PhD is that you have completely different timescales yeah. <laughs> to other research studies, so um, which is which is a joy. So it allowed me to develop this. So that, that was around the, the methodology that I wanted to develop, um, as much more of an empowering model of research with widowed young people. And then the topic area came from Childline, which is a confidential telephone and helpline service for children in the UK, I had done a study that found that. One of the most significant concerns that children and people had uh, with regard to parental health and well-being was alcohol problems. And politically, we'd had um, a lot of attention on children living with parental drug use, Mm -hmm. um, and we'd had a number of tragic cases. Actually, but alcohol tended to be to be missing from the debates and people talked about parental substance misuse Mm -hmm. um, which meant drug and alcohol use but actually really they were interested in drug use and I felt as though this is an issue that really matters Mm -hmm. to children and people and has a huge impact on them and yet maybe we're not doing enough enough on it so it was kind of the two things coming together really I wanted to develop some you know innovative methodology and this seemed to be a topic that seemed to matter to children and people and I was in a very formal position in working for Barnardo's that it's such a sensitive topic mm-hmm. to talk about and it's surrounded by issues of secrecy yeah. and often shame that I really needed to work with services that knew me and had the confidence I think mm-hmm. that um, I could work with children and young people in a way that was respectful and valued and work with them I suppose over a period of time but that was very careful about what, what some of their experiences might have been and that would be a positive experience because that that's really important to me that research can be and
0: should be a, a positive and empowering experience for participants. Absolutely and I think that actually really came through in your Don't Make Us Talk article that I'd read that led me to contact you, the lengths that you went to to be flexible in your methodology and try all these things and I wonder if now that we know the background of the study maybe you could tell us a little bit about the study itself. And also a bit about those different methodologies that you used, because I think they have a lot of parallels with practice as well. And I think that's something that you actually identify yourself. Sure. So
1: the study involved 30 children and young people, aged from nine to 20 years old. They were all recruited via um, a support service across Scotland. So originally, I worked with 13 different voluntary support services, um, primarily through Barnados, and then through various other organisations as well. And the first main stage of the study was called the good ideas mm-hmm. groups and what i did was i wanted to start by talking to some children and young people who live with parental alcohol problems to say H- how should i do this study you mm-hmm. <laughs> know i wanted to start on a really basic level yeah, but I'd, right. I'd done a lot of work with with children and people about research methods so i was i was always interested in their views and mm-hmm. With 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 a sensitive topic like this, there's there's lots of divergent views on how you should approach it, and one of the things I'd found is often group work can be can be really positive, and that participants can get an awful lot out of that. From you know in, in, in research studies, however, normally for for sensitive topics, people feel that that isn't always appropriate, or if it is, it's more of a um, a therapeutic research okay. approach. Um, and I'm not a trained counselor. Um so, so it's interesting just thinking through what my what my methods might be. So so I did the Good Ideas groups, which were two different groups, uh, ran through a Bernardo service. Um and I went originally and met with um met with some of the young people in the service and said, I'm doing um a research study on you know what it's like to live with a mum or dad or um, carer who has an alcohol problem, and I'd really like to know from children and young people themselves about how I should do this project. And the the service that I worked with was a specialised service that supported families um, where there was um, problematic alcohol use in the family. So so I knew that all of the young people that were involved in that service were had that impacted on their life in some way. Although I should say it was in really different ways and some different, very different experiences for this group of young people. And um, the the they both happened to be girls groups and they were very keen and really wanted to help with the study and were very passionate in sharing their ideas and were very clear about what ways I should do it and what ways I shouldn't do it. And I worked with them for five weeks we met one evening a week, and um, over over the evening session that they helped me to plan, so we'd always do something like a snack of their choice, uh, a game and some mm-hmm. activities. and then I'd do some different research methods I'd done with other children and young people. so for example, um one of the you know one of the methods that I used was uh, all about me. Um, activity where we kind of drew round either themselves or they drew um, a character, and we cut up magazines and and stuck on um, things that were about who they were as people. And what they what they told me from that and the message from that was that it's really important to show that you're interested in us as people, not just the problems in our lives. So actually, from just from that little activity that we did one evening, that then. Was used in, in with all of my young people as a. I did a. I started every research um, session either as individual interviews or paired interviews or group interviews um, or group work, however young people chose to engage with me. But I always did it all about me circle and did some big arrows off it and had lots of stickers and pictures and they created like a, a collage for me um, that we did as the as start of the interview session to say tell me a bit about your life and what was lovely was that they often shared you know about pets about who they lived with. So I got the information that I that I needed because I, I needed to know who they lived yeah. with um, or whether or not they moved a lot between, say, grandparents and birth parents mm-hmm. and, you know, so there was often, a lot of the children had a lot of movement yeah. in their lives. and um, But what it allowed me to do was rather than, I suppose, take more of a direct approach of a, you know, could you tell me at the moment who yeah. you live with and do you always live there and where do you stay at the weekends? It allowed them to have, I suppose it's about their agency, in the research process and the lovely thing as well about doing that activity at the, at the start of research interviews was that you know I could learn that some children were great drawers or really were impressed at their writing or really liked some stickers you know one boy was a big fan of Doctor Who oh, the television yeah. program on here and chose all of the Doctor Who stickers and it just you know there's a big part about relationships yeah. and breaking the ice yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and that was that was a really simple and your practitioners will really know the importance and actually it's often when you're doing those activities that the gems of the gems of knowledge are then shared that methodology i suppose just allows um a really for me a really nice child-centered young person-centered way Mm -hmm. of of beginning and allowing them to and of course some children would wanted to talk an awful lot and all you know different different aspects and we talked about favorite maybe football teams or what they like doing at the weekend and you know it it gave me a sense of who they were as a person and I think the important message that it gave them was that I was interested in them as a person and I wasn't there just to say what's it like to live with with mums drinking at the moment you know yeah, and, and it yeah. gave it a very different flavor and I, I think that there's a lot about the research methodology that I used that's very very relevant for how practitioners engage in this topic mm-hmm. just to say a little bit more then about the methodology so all the methods that we used over that five-week group so at the end of every session that we had I did a big flip chart and I gave um, all the participants stickers that said great okay rubbish and mm-hmm. everything that we'd done they could give give a sticker to so so that that worked really well in terms of it was a little bit of evaluation on um, you know what they felt about different methods so one of the activities that I did that I actually really wasn't sure how this was gonna go and it felt a little bit bold but um, (laughs) I'd found a group of young people in Glasgow had made a video um, about a day in the life of Amy and Amy lived with a mum who had an alcohol problem And this group of young people had, um, some of them had had experience of it themselves and some of them hadn't. But they decided to to produce this um, as part of a project at school. And they very kindly shared it with me. And I shared it with the groups, the two groups, the Good Ideas groups. And what I did was, um, I did it as a film review. So I did stars in boxes and things. So I kind of said, you know, what did you think of Amy's story? So the film itself is about eight minutes. So we watched it and we reviewed it together because I thought that that would be a safe way to you know that they were the film critic um yeah. on you know and I thought that'd be a much safer way rather than saying you know could you relate to you know Amy's experiences to some of your own um, but what happened was that they they would critique it and say what they thought of the acting and but they would say oh, oh well you know Amy's you know, it was like that mum wasn't getting out of bed and then they'd say, but it's not like that for me because, you know, my dad does go to work, he just you know, drinks when he gets home all night, you know, so what they did was, Amy became this character that was a really safe way for them to choose whether or not to tell me some things that were happening in their own personal life. Um, so for some young people, they, um, they would just use Amy all the time, but the level of detail in which they, they shared, which actually were things that were not in the film at all, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. gave me an insight, gave me an insight really, that, that they knew things uh, far mm-hmm. beyond, you know, that they must have had some level of personal experience of living with a person with an alcohol problem to, to mm-hmm. know what that's like, Um, whereas others would say, well, that's what it was like for Amy, but I'll tell you how it's like for me. What what it did was it was an incredible way. Like we often talk in research about the power of vignettes, using the vignette, so Mm -hmm. um, you know, so participants can choose whether or not to relate that to their own lives, or whether or not they can talk through that the character of that person. So it's a very safe way when working. Mm -hmm. Often is when working with children and young people that they're not having to name it themselves, and you're not directly asking them Mm -hmm. what's it like to live with dad um, when he's drinking. So Mm -hmm. it it allows that. and, and what I found from doing that with the Good Ideas groups is that they thought that that was a brilliant way to start talking to children and young people, and they all gave it excellent stickers. So um, that was really good. So what I did was in all the following, um, the following kind of interviews and group work that I did with young people is they always had a choice to watch. Um, this DVD um, and and to talk about it and one of the things which again is about how we develop relationships in research like how we develop relationships as practitioners is that mm. setting up a laptop and putting the DVD in and things I'd often let the young people themselves do that for me and take mm. control of it they would often find the plug for me and be really helpful mm. and 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 what mm. it was was as well kind of sharing those methods and the the majority of them wanted to watch it a number of young people I saw more than once um, and what surprised me actually was a few young people asked to watch it again um, and I was a bit unsure to be honest about what mm. the value would be of watching it again um, but what they wanted to do was actually tell me more tell me more about it um, so it had stayed with them and I, I actually now feel that that, that method of using Amy's story um, was was incredibly valuable. The the data um, that I got as a result of that was um, some of the richest data that formed my my PhD research. Um, and again, I think um, agency, children and young people's own agency in that process, mm-hmm. um, and being able to relate to a dvd stop it and start it when they wanted you know turn it off if they wanted i did a lot of things i also had um, a chill out zone and a chill out box always with me so at any point they could and i made that really clear at the start of all of our interviews that at any point they could choose to stop what we were doing they didn't have to explain why you know um and to pick up some of the magazines that i'd brought some of the other activities drawing pads you know i had a whole box of things that they could root yeah. through um i had lots of novelty pens so they could you know they often really like them now mo- most of them actually didn't really choose to do that a few of them did um, and that was fine a few of them did it through you know choosing obviously to to take a break or to the toilet um so again it, it was it was but the message i think was very much a, you know we'll go at your pace and we will talk about whatever you want to talk about and that's why through the paper that you mentioned I, I talked very much about having glimpses of children and young people's lives because I really respected what they wanted to share with me and also what they didn't want to share with me.
0: I think you've painted a really fantastic picture now of the methodology and what was involved in the study and I wonder if you could maybe identify some key findings from your research and give us a bit of detail about them. Okay.
1: Yeah, so the first key finding um, from the study was that children and young people know an awful lot about living with parental alcohol problems. And I think what's key is the ways in which they choose to share it. So other studies had, had. shown that and it's indicated that children can know from around the age of, of six um, that something could be different around alcohol use in, in families. And um, so we had some, some insight um, that I would expect these children and young people to have knowledge of it and also they all were accessing services that on varying levels were supporting the family mm. so the fact that they even had contact with a service um was a suggestion that um, they would they would have some knowledge yeah. that um a parent or carer had an alcohol problem so i think the what 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 was key to key to the study was that they they did know a lot they would talk a lot around um, the health um, and well-being of a parent or carer, and that was often a big concern. So they would talk about um, how alcohol um, affected their parent or carer and how it would make them behave. Behaviour was a big part of the impact that it had on their their lives. They could talk with... Um, was great insight into the emotional um, effects on a parent um, when drinking. So they would talk about some parents being angry, some parents being very sad and very depressed. Um, they often had some um, some view on why a parent was drinking. Um, sometimes it related to family relationships and breakdowns. Sometimes it was unimportant employment and um, sometimes it was debt so they often had some some rationale of why it was happening um, and they were able to share the levels often they, they often did a lot of monitoring of how much a parent was drinking so were able to tell me things like uh, my mum drinks a bottle of vodka a day so they were able to to share things like that even if that was from um that some of the youngest children in the study actually would share that level of knowledge. Um, Most of them would express the view that alcohol was very bad for you and were very very clear that they were in their concerns that they had for parents around drinking. Um, A lot of them could talk about the after effects of drinking, talked about what parents were like when they were not drinking. Mm -hmm. Many of them could reflect on times in their life where parents were drinking more or less. So and how um, how that impacted on them they could talk about when drinking was a particular kind of concern or it had a greater impact on their life so for example, one young man in the study was very concerned when his mum turned up to school drunk and that was as well about that kind of issue of friends um seeing potentially seeing his mum intoxicated and what that might mean for him so I really wouldn't underestimate how much children and young people know, um, but the other question about is how much they choose to share with you as an adult about it. So it was the fact that I would always always presume that they had a great deal of knowledge. Um, now that that's very that's a really important finding because often what other studies had shown is that parents and sometimes professionals try and minimise how much children and young people know. About parental alcohol use, parents often think that they're hiding it and hiding it quite well, and they're not. Yeah. <laughs> so children would talk to me that they knew they knew where parents hid alcohol, where the bottles were, where they could see the bottles in the in the morning, or they were sometimes clearing up um, after parents as well. So there was there was a lot of knowledge um, of them around around um, all these kinds of um, behaviours. So sometimes there was a view that it was being hidden, and I suppose it depends how. Um, practitioners are you know working with parents and how much they're working with the child because parents would certainly be very much trying to protect um, protect that child from, from the level sometimes of their alcohol use so if the professional would only listen to a parent they might think that it's been hidden quite well from a child. Um, you know my studies certainly showed that that was that was not the case um and some parents were not hiding it were not hiding their alcohol use at all um from the child and there was um a, a few children that I talked to, and actually a few visits that I did with to family homes showed me at the time that houses were actually drinking dens so mm-hmm. Not only was a parent drinking, but there would be other people that sometimes were friends with the family, sometimes were unknown, and um, could actually be a very unsafe environment for a child. Um, that the, the family home had almost turned into um, a space where lots of drinking happened. So Jim, one of the young people that I mentioned in the article, would talk about house parties. Yeah. And uh, he, he talked very um, eloquently about... Um, A dance going on and he he said you know very poignantly i felt in in our interviews that they were the best and the worst times of his life because on the one hand there were these parties happening and he was talking about the the dancing and they were doing this kind of latin dance Mm. and you know it was great fun and um you know so he talked about that and then he also said it was, it was the worst times because mum often was screaming and shouting. He told me that he had, um, real difficulties in getting up in time for school because the parties went on all night. And um, there were people that he didn't know in the house that meant that he didn't feel safe. Um, and mum was not necessarily, because of mum's level of drinking, um, we wouldn't presume that she'd always be able to be a protective parent of him. So, you know, there were, there were some, some very serious concerns for some, Children, but their level of knowledge was was very very high, um, and I think that there was another piece of work that had been done by crowland Taylor in the UK that talked about children living with parental substance issues. So a little bit broader, but and it, and they say that children don't talk, and my findings were very much they they can talk um, about this. It's finding the right ways, the right methods to allow them to feel safe enough talk and also they might not talk to like the those researchers were both um, social workers mm. and i think that makes a big difference so one of the big concerns that children and people have is if they do talk they'll be removed from the family home and a lot of them are they feel a lot of love and loyalty for their families, and as being very protective of their families, some of the children are also see themselves in a very protective role of younger siblings. So they're very concerned that if they talk about the level of mums drinking, that they might be removed, but also that their siblings might not be, or they might be separated from their siblings. So, so there's a, there's a lot going on there. It's really, it's really complex for children, and they're really trying to navigate all of this. Um, as well as often parents saying, Don't talk, don't talk you know, don't tell anyone um, about what's happening about alcohol use. So so it's, it's a complex it's a really complex um yeah, situation I think for a lot of children and young people that they're trying to, to navigate. Yeah. One of the other key findings from the study was the emotional impact right. for children living with parental alcohol problems. So they talked about the feelings that they had around it and how scared they could feel, how angry they could feel, um, how sad um, they often were um, about the situation. And I think we, from a, in considering this for, for practitioners, um, that's really important because sometimes we can focus a little bit more on some of the safety issues um, around children and people and although that's, that's correct for us to do that, um, the message that the children were saying to me was that actually it's 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 living with the kind of the knot the ball of anxiety in your stomach day in day out you know and and that's that that was really really hard for them and that that could continue even when um, a parent had stopped drinking because for a number of the parents in the study um they had periods where they weren't drinking in periods when they were very heavily drinking, and actually for some of those children it was it was actually harder because they would talk about that every day when they got home from school. They didn't know, mm, you know, yeah. is this is this the day that mum's back on the drink, mm-hmm. or is she still off the drink? Yeah. You know, so it would be really it would be really challenging. So I think in terms of what we think about support um, and what's needed for practitioners, it's that recognition of the emotional um, impact for. For children. In terms of the impact of this study for child welfare practitioners, I think, I think there's a lot of learning. I think one, one aspect that we could think about is around uh, how useful the methodology was in providing different ways in which children and young people can, can talk about such a sensitive topic. So the learning was that um, all children and people are really different. And time is critical to have enough time to develop relationships so that they feel able to talk. And I thought just having a lot of tools, sometimes like researchers, we you know, like practitioners, we talk about having a toolbox of ideas. And I think for practitioners that could be really, really useful. Having a lot of visual things as well worked really well in this this study. And having kind of interactive ways of um, being able to talk because it's really hard to start a conversation about this yes. and um, so I think I think that would be something that I'd say could be really useful for practitioners to mm. to draw on. The The support that children and young people said what what was helpful is we talked a lot about informal and formal support and often for, for in a positive way for a number of these children and young people which we would hope to find is that they identified one trusted one trusted adult for so some of them, this was um, an older sibling, often a sibling that no longer lived in the family home. Um, and often actually it was a big sister. And a lot of the boys talked about this, having a big sister and having somewhere that they could go, somewhere that was safe, somewhere that they could talk. And um, if things were really difficult at home, um, that it just gave them that, that, that safe space. And that mm. was really important. Um, that was also a key role of grandparents um, that provided provided that, that space as well. I should say that for some of the children, though, that became really problematic because relationships between grandparents and parents could become very, very difficult. And for some, that parents then um, forbade the child to go and see a grandparent. And that was incredibly difficult for the child because actually that grandparent was a real safety net for them. And then not being allowed to go and see them um, now obviously some <laughs> children and people you know still found ways of seeing them yeah. um, and managed to do that but and, but that was something that was quite a quite a concern for them i think the overarching messages that they had was about feeling that they were listened to mm-hmm. feeling that they were being respected and they talked a lot about not being judged mm. now there's a lot of stigma that can surround Problematic alcohol use, mm-hmm. um, certainly in the UK, and I imagine in Canada as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and for those children that not feeling judged was key to feel that they could actually talk. And they were fiercely loyal of their parents mm-hmm. and carers, the majority of them. Mm-hmm. So as soon as they felt that judgments would be made about that parent and carer, they would, they would close down. Right. And they would give lots of examples of um, teachers or social workers or youth workers where if they had ever been made to feel like that, that, that they they quickly closed down that relationship. Mm-hmm. So for, for practitioners, I think we just need to be really, really aware of, of how we communicate this. And one of the things that is nice about some of the methods that I used, so, for example, I used the outline of an alcohol bottle and just said, you know, when we say the word alcohol, what comes into your head? And the children kind of did drawings, did, wrote on it, or just some of them just wanted to talk to me about it. Mm -hmm. But the point was I wasn't talking about um, it being problematic. I was just saying, you know, what do you think about alcohol? You know, so it's very, very simple. But actually... Using that kind of language allows allows us to start conversations, um, and I think that, that that could be really helpful for practitioners. Mm-hmm. I should say as well that throughout the interview, I've talked about alcohol problems. I was very um, uncertain about what kind of language the young people themselves would like me to use. So this was the um, this was the term that they preferred. So we talked about um, alcoholic. Uh, we talked alky. There was lots of different. Um, you know kind of local kind of terms mm-hmm. that would be used for problematic um, alcohol use but they said in the good ideas groups they said that alcohol problems had the biggest um, resonance for them because mm. alcohol was creating a problem in their family's lives wow. so it wasn't about labeling you know mom yeah. or dad or carer um, as a problem yeah. uh, but it was saying that this creates problems for us as a family so I thought that that was kind of a useful way to, to yeah, see it. And it'd be interesting whether or not some of your practitioners um, find that language is, is helpful or or, or not. Um, and I wouldn't, you know, I was using just alcohol use um, yeah. at, at first because so, I didn't want to put a label of problem on it. But actually the yeah. the young
0: people themselves told me, you know, this is a problem for us. So yeah. let's, let's call it an alcohol problem. Absolutely. And I guess... I'm curious to know if there have been any tangible outcomes of your research, or any kind of wider implications that you've observed since you completed the study. So,
1: as a result of the work, um, I was really fortunate. To the study was part funded by Bernardo's and um, the Children's Organisation. So, I ran a number of workshops for practitioners, um, sharing. A lot around the methodology and around the key findings um for, for what children's experiences have been so they were quite successful I think and we had really good um, involvement lots and lots of practitioners involved and um, I also got asked to do an event um, with Scotland which is our, kind of one of our umbrella child protection resource services for Scotland and I did an all-day event for practitioners policymakers. Um, Scottish Government colleagues um, and researchers, again, on the topic and the findings, and we have reissued guidance called Getting Our Priorities Right, um, Working with Families Affected by Parental Substance Misuse.
0: You have been listening to Research Radio, Episode 9, a conversation with Dr Louise Hill research radio is produced by practice and research together a membership-based organization that promotes the understanding and use of evidence-informed practice at all levels of the child welfare system for more information about this episode's topic research radio or practice and research together please visit www.partcanada.org and don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Part E-I-P. That's PARTEIP. That's P A R T E I P. Thanks for listening.